0: congregation, please turn with me again to Lord's Day 10 of our Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 10 of our Heidelberg Catechism. And we will read both question and answers again, even though we already focused on question and answer 27, and we'll be focusing on question and answer 28 in this evening hour. And so let's hear how the Heidelberg Catechism here echoes the Word of God regarding God's providence. Question 27, what dost thou mean by the providence of God? The answer is, the Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by His hand, He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Question 28, what advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by His providence doth still uphold all things? And the answer is that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from His love, since all creatures are so in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move." And so, with God's help, we will focus then on the question and answer 28 and consider the rich benefits that are derived from believing in God's providence, that God governs all things without exception. And the benefits are laid out very plainly for us, and so, boys and girls, you should be able to follow that as well. So, look again at the answer to question 28. So, the first point is... That we may be patient in adversity. That's benefit number one. Benefit number two. Thankful in prosperity. And benefit number three. That in all things which may hereafter or in the future befall us. We place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father. Or we could simply say confidence in the future. Patience in adversity thankfulness in prosperity, and confidence in the future. And so we saw last week, congregation, that the God who created the universe for His Son and by His Son also preserves His entire creation by His Son and for His Son. And we saw that we distinguish three aspects to the amazing work of God's providence. First of all, we saw that He preserves His entire creation. He preserves the entire universe. And so He ceaselessly is engaged in exercising His power without which This entire universe would literally collapse. So He sustains it in a most remarkable way. Secondly, we saw that not only does he preserve his creation, but we also saw that he cooperates in his creation. That means that God is directly involved in all that happens throughout the universe. And so God is not, as the deists call it, the watchmaker who makes the watch, winds it up, of course today we would say puts a battery in it, and then... Let's that watch row and never ever looks at that watch again. So it is not with God. And we saw that there is a mysterious element to that cooperation of God with all of His creation. Because God cooperates in such a way that even the ungodly, even the wicked, cannot as much as move a finger without God enabling them to do so, even when they engage in works of wickedness. And we saw that even though we follow the teaching of Scripture, that God is involved in all things, yet not in such a way that He is the author of sin. And so... To somehow put this together is beyond our grasp. So what we need to do when we talk about that cooperation, we must simply listen to the Word of God. Because as we pointed out, to suggest that there are aspects of creation in which God is not involved would mean that all kinds of things are happening that are beyond and outside of His control. If you're familiar with the writings of R.C. Sproul, when he writes about this, he makes the argument, he said, if I believed that there was one electron in the universe that was operating outside of control, he said I would lose all my confidence because that one random electron could literally upset everything else. And so we believe that there is absolutely nothing that happens anywhere that is outside of God's control and outside of His direct involvement, and yet in such a way that He is not the author of sin. That's why Peter said uh, on the day of Pentecost, what you did was wicked. With your wicked hands, you have slain the Messiah, and yet... He said what happened was according to the determinate counsel of God. And then thirdly, we saw that God directly governs His creation, that He directly he directs events to accomplish His sovereign purpose and His sovereign good pleasure. And so now the question is, having considered the, the, the doctrine of God's providence... Now let's make the practical application. And As we again read this just a few moments ago, uh, it's beautiful how the uh, Heidelberg Catechism here defines the wonder of God's providence, how it mentions all the things of daily life, herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful, barren years, meat and drink, all of it. He said all these things riches and poverty, health and sickness, all these things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. that brings us then to question 28, what advantage, or we could say, what comfort is it to us to know that God has created and by His providence doth still uphold all things? What is the, the comfort for the believer? Because that is, of course, the special focus of Lord's Day 10. It is true. God also cares for the ungodly. Also for them, it is true that in God they live and they move and they have and they have their being. But ultimately, all the blessings that they still enjoy in this life, all the Blessings of God's providence that they still enjoy in this life. If they die in their sins, it will ultimately condemn them. And so when you have a vegetable garden, and you care for that vegetable garden, you water that garden, the water that you use to water that garden is strictly intended for the vegetables. But it falls on the weeds as well. And they prosper sometimes more than the vegetables. But ultimately, they prosper for a short time, ultimately, to be destroyed. And so also the ungodly, the ungodly benefit from God's care for this world. But the focus of Lord's Day 28, the focus of Lord's Day 10, rather, the focus of Question and Answer 28 is specifically on The comfort that we may derive from God's providence for God's children. The the comfort of knowing that the God who governs all things also in my life is my heavenly Father. And so the first thing it mentions here is that it will make us patient in adversity. So why is it that adversity is mentioned first? Or we could simply say... Patient in trials, patient when we are afflicted, patient when we have to deal with what we would call negative providences, patient when things happen in our life that are unpleasant. And of course, congregation, that is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is filled with adversity. We live in a world that is filled with sorrow and trouble. We live in a world where human beings are dying, dying. Almost two human beings die per minute, or per second rather. And so y- human beings are ill, human beings are dying, human beings are ill. Accidents happen, calamities happen, catastrophes happen. We live in a broken And a fallen world. Job says in Job 14 verse 10. But man dieth. And wasteth away. That's the reality of life. In this fallen world of ours. But then we read in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 2. That all things. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous. And to the wicked. To the good and to the clean, and to the unclean. So what that means is that God's children, as we dwell in this world, we are not exempt from adversity. That means that also in the lives of God's children, there will be unpleasant experiences. There will be trials. There will be adversity. The Bible again speaks clear language about this. Psalm 34 verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Of course, this is contrary to the lie that is foisted upon so many also in North America. Those who embrace what we call the health and wealth gospel, who tell people that if you are in sync with God... You will prosper. You will not have. You will not be ill, and you will enjoy unspeakable material prosperity. Congregation, we know that that is a lie. We know that that is directly contrary to the Word of God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. John sixteen verse thirty three. Christ Himself said, "In the world ye shall have tribulation." In Acts 14, Paul says in verse 22, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And I have to say, congregation, that in the days when the catechism was written, people dealt with much more adversity than they do today. They dealt with much more affliction than they do today. Quite recently, I read another biography about the life of Luther, and it struck me again how exceedingly difficult life was in those days. They did not have the comforts we enjoy. Their homes were poorly constructed. Winters were a trial. There was no medical care. It's remarkable how many afflictions Luther had. And the medical care that we take for granted was simply not available. And so even as recently as the year 1900, the average age in our own country was only 50. And so in former generations, especially when the catechism was written, adversity was very, very real. J.R. Packer, the late J.R. Packer, in his book called Quest for Godliness, when he writes about the Puritans, he says, why was it that the Puritans were such spiritual giants? He says, they were schooled in the school of affliction. It was common for our Puritan forebears to bury several wives. It was common for them to bury many children. And As I said, there was no medical care. So life was filled with adversity. And so Ecclesiastes was very true for them, all things come alike to all, one event to the righteous and to the wicked. Nowhere does the Bible promise that God's people shall be exempt from adversity. But then you see the doctrine of God's providence is so immensely helpful, especially at such times, at such seasons, when affliction strikes, when tragedy strikes, when accidents happen, when unpleasant things happen, it is at that moment that it is so important for the people of God to grasp the doctrine of God's providence. Because what is our natural reaction to adversity? What is your natural reaction? What is my natural reaction when some, something doesn't go our way? When adversity comes into our lives? And if only this were true for the ungodly. But sadly, this is true for us as well, because even for God's children, our flesh does not respond well to adversity. So our natural reaction is that we become impatient angry, and bitter. We're inclined to say what Jacob said when when he thought that Joseph had been killed. He said, all these things are against me. This was the confession of a godly man. And which child of God, which believer has not had moments in their lives that they have been tempted to think that? and we know that Jacob was so very wrong all things were not against him in the end it turned out that all of those mysterious providences were all governed by his heavenly father ultimately for his benefit psalm 73 asaph is frustrated frustrated. He looks at the ungodly. He looks at the wicked. He sees how they prosper, how they have no anxiety. And his admonishments were new every day. He actually said, verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands of innocency, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. And what a blessing in this congregation, if by the grace of God. We may learn in the school of God's grace to trust God's fatherly direction of our life, even when things are happening that do not make any sense to us at the moment. As I've mentioned several times, it's my favorite example Paul and Silas. There is a situation that absolutely made no sense. We know that Paul had been obedient to the heavenly calling to come over and help the people in Macedonia. And he had been obedient. He was, he was walking in the pathway of God's obedience. He obeyed his master, he obeyed the clear direction of the Holy Spirit. And he ends up in a wretched jail cell in the city of Philippi. But remarkably, what do we read in Acts 16, verse 25? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. There you have an example of two people who believed the doctrine of God's providence. Two people who trusted their heavenly Father that even though they found themselves in very adverse circumstances, by faith... They were able to trust their Heavenly Father. And they worshipped Him in the most wretched circumstances. They worshipped them. They worshipped Him in that jail cell in such a way that the other prisoners even heard them worshipping. What a blessing in this congregation. When we may grow in grace, when we may grow spiritually in the school of God's grace that when things do happen, when adversity strikes, that rather than responding in anger and rebellion, that we trust our Heavenly Father, that we trust Him wholeheartedly, and that we trust Him unconditionally. Because God does not hesitate to let adversity come into the lives of His children. God does not hesitate to afflict us God will not hesitate to lead us in difficult and perplexing ways in order that we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember my dad saying to me frequently, he said, son, we all desire spiritual growth, but we do not necessarily approve of the methods that God will use to achieve that spiritual growth. That's why Jesus said, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And one of the downsides of living in a culture today that is so extraordinarily prosperous is that we often fail to learn the lessons that former generations learned in the school of affliction. We've become so successful. We've become so prosperous. We've become so extraordinary in the medical care we now have that sometimes we almost live affliction-free lives to our detriment. That's why J.R. Packer said, that our Puritan forebears. They live with affliction all the time. They lived with adversity all the time. And I'm not saying that we should desire adversity. No, we should not desire adversity. That we be foolish. But I am saying that those who have been in the school of grace and look back on their lives will have to say that all my afflictions, all my adversities have been for my benefit. All things, Paul says, all things, all, and in the context of Romans 8, which we read, he was talking about affliction. All things without exception must and shall work together for our good, for our spiritual good, for our spiritual advantage, so that we may be conformed to the image of the Son of God. That's God's desire. That is God's goal. That is God's objective. And God, your Heavenly Father, will use any means necessary to achieve that objective. Because, dear believer, we have been chosen in Christ from all eternity to become like Him. And in order for us to become like Him, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die. Our flesh has to die. Our flesh has to be crucified. And it's been my experience as well that God often uses adversity and uses affliction to confront us with an area of our lives that we have not dealt with. To expose an an aspect of our flesh, our remaining flesh that we have not yet crucified in order that we might die to ourselves That's why Paul could write to the Romans in Romans 5, verse 3. We glory in tribulations also. Paul had learned so much in the school of affliction that he gloried, he realized that every trial, every adversity was designed by his heavenly Father for God's glory and for His spiritual benefit. But then there is a second aspect, namely that we are thankful in prosperity. Now, it would almost seem to us, boys and girls, maybe you think, well, that's not so difficult. It's not so difficult to be thankful in prosperity. But let me hasten to say, congregation, that... Just as much grace is needed to be thankful in prosperity as to be patient in adversity. First of all, we need to realize that any prosperity, any outward material prosperity, is an utterly undeserved favor of God. In other words, in a fallen world... And as fallen human beings, we do not deserve any prosperity. Years ago, I listened to a message once by the late Dr. Gerstner, and the title of his message was "The Problem of Pleasure." And what he said in his message, he said i'm always I'm always approached by, especially unbelievers who will say, if this, God for, if this God that you preach and confess is indeed a loving God, why is there so much misery in this world? And the point he made, the problem is not that there is misery in this world, and sorrow, and grief, and affliction, and trial. He said the real problem is that there is some pleasure in this world... The real mystery is that we as fallen human beings are still able to enjoy some measure of pleasure and prosperity. Because all that we deserve as sinners, we deserve nothing but adversity. We deserve nothing but trial. We deserve nothing but negative providences. So, the problem is not why is there suffering in this world, the question is why is there nothing but suffering in this world? A world that wallows in wickedness, a world that wallows in sin, a world that rebels against its maker, there should be nothing but sorrow and affliction and trial. And so, the problem is not why is there suffering, the problem is why is there still prosperity? We need to realize that. We need to realize that if we may experience what we would call favorable providences, that this is an utterly undeserved favor of God. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 18, David realized it. David had been through difficult ways. He said, Lord, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house?" that Thou hast brought me hitherto. In Psalm 103, verse 10, He says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And That's why, congregation, if we may enjoy a measure of prosperity, and we do, No generation in human history has lived like we do. No generation has ever enjoyed the creature comforts that we take for granted. No previous generation has ever enjoyed such material prosperity as we do today. And we need to realize that if God has prospered us, and if He is prospering you also outwardly, It is purely the result of His favorable arrangement of the circumstances of your life. And so if you prosper in your business, it's because God has providentially arranged it to be so. He's given you the strength. He's given you the intelligence. He's given you the know-how. He's given you the wisdom. He's given you the providence. Opportunities open doors that have allowed you to prosper. We know all too well how quickly that can change. Only a few years ago, as a result of COVID, our entire economy came to a screeching halt. Suddenly, the world was stunned, our nation was stunned what happened and suddenly what we had taken for granted appeared to be in danger oh when God prospers us when his providential government is favorable in our lives we need to realize it's his doing not ours except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Proverbs 16, verse 9 A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7 So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. You know, I've lived in the farming community the last few years of my life, and I've witnessed this year after year. I've seen the work of planting. I've seen the watering, the irrigation, but I've also seen that every farmer understood ultimately... That all of his labors would be in vain if God did not miraculously cause that seed to germinate. And that's the amazing work of God that you see year after year. And so, what is our natural reaction, our sinful reaction to prosperity? It's pride, arrogance, and forgetfulness. Ultimately, we're all inclined to be like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, who stood on the rooftop, who looked out over his magnificent city, Babylon, and he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Now, if We're raised like we are, raised with the Word of God. Perhaps we would not say it that way. Perhaps we would not be as bold as arrogant. But God knows our hearts. He knows the secrets within. And He knows that we are inclined to be just like Nebuchadnezzar. And we may not say it, but we will think it. Is not this, the great Babylon that I have built... For the house of the kingdom by the might of my power. And so when we enjoy prosperity, we are in danger of forgetting from whom all blessings flow. And let me hasten to say that material prosperity is not necessarily a blessing. For many, it will prove to be their everlasting curse. Many Americans, with their prosperity, are on their way to hell to perish forever. Turn with me to De- Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy eight verses 10 through 17, a powerful but also a very convicting passage. Deuteronomy eight, verse 10. remember, Moses is now speaking um, at the end of their 40-year journey, and they're on the threshold of entering the land of Canaan, the land that God promised them, a land that would be flowing with milk and honey. And Moses says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God, for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. Verse 12. Lest, when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold are multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. Verse 17. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Congregation, we know that that exhortation was not in vain. We know there came a time in Israel's history... They became enormously successful economically. There was extraordinary material prosperity, but at the same time, it was a time of great spiritual decline. The congregation. I fear that that's happened to our Western world, that's happened to our United States of America. We can safely say, That in the entire history of the world, no nation has been so favored providentially by God as this nation. No nation has ever known such might, such power, such prosperity as this country. And where are we today? Sadly, we see the same pattern that happened with Israel. When they became prosperous... They forgot the Lord their God. and They worshipped the idols. Rather than giving honor to God, they worshipped the idols that all surrounded them. That's what happened to our United States. And we need to put our hand in our own bosom. Because congregation, Kelvin rightly said that the human heart is a factory of idols. And idolatry It's very real in our culture, far more real than we realize, and we are far more guilty of it than we realize. Oh, to be grateful, to be thankful in prosperity, to really mean it when we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Psalm 160 verse 12 There we have an expression of that gratitude by David when he says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits towards me? What a blessed place that is to be when we see the hand of God in all things. And when we give Him the glory of all that we have and of all that we've been able to achieve. Realizing that He has prospered us. He has blessed us. He has equipped us. He has enabled us. He has providentially opened doors for us. All blessings, all benefits flow from Him. Turn with me to Genesis 32, verse 10. Genesis 32, verse 10. Genesis 32, verse 10. This is David, or or this is Jacob, rather. Speaking when he has returned from dwelling with his father-in-law Laban. Returning to his own country. When he realized that he could be in danger. Because of Esau who might want to take vengeance on him. But then he pours out his heart to the Lord. Notice what he says in verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. And of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. When Jacob left, he had nothing except his staff. He came back a very wealthy and a very prosperous man. But he knew that was not his doing. He knew it was God's doing. And he realized at that moment how unworthy he was of all that he had. He said, I am not worthy of the least of thy mercies. Congregation, do you believe that? Do I believe that? Do you believe that you are not worthy of the very least favorable providence? Of the very least of all of God's mercies? We say that so quickly. We can say that so piously. And it sounds right. But do we believe it? And why is it that we get, we get upset so quickly when something doesn't go quite right? Is it that because somehow we think that we, we deserve better than that? Not worthy of the least of thy mercies. And that's why when God prospers us materially, also outwardly, as He has done remarkably in our culture, in our society... What an obligation we then have to liberally give to the God who has so liberally given to us. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. 16, verse 2. Very practical application here. Very practical direction. First of all, let me before that, let me quote Matthew 10, verse 8, where Christ says, "...freely you have received..." freely give now the application of it in first Corinthians 16 verse 2 upon the first day of the week on the Lord's day let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him what a powerful statement that summarizes everything we're trying to say as God has prospered him that's it We have what we have, we are who we are, because God has prospered us. Now, Paul is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that our giving should be proportionate to how God has prospered us. To lay aside, to lay by Him in store as God has prospered Him. In the future, I hope to preach a sermon on tithing. This is not the time. But is your and my giving consistent with how God has prospered us? And then finally, believing in God's providence also means that we will be confident for the future. For the ungodly, the future is a frightening prospect... That's why the recent pandemic has shaken our culture to its core. Because people lost their security. They did, they did not know what was coming and what would be happening to all that we had simply taken for granted. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, but he said to his disciples, But don't you be like the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't know God. And for them, the future is a fearful thing. The Gentiles are obsessed with the question, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be closed? Christ says, don't be like that. Don't behave like the Gentiles. For after all these things, the Gentiles do seek. And yet, which believer has never known anxiety about the unknown future? Especially when there are things happening that we can't quite figure out. Oh, every believer knows what it means to be anxious. Every believer knows what it means to lose sight of God and His Word and His promises. And Christ is saying to the disciples, He's saying to us, don't be like that, don't be like a Gentile. But trust your heavenly Father." who will care for you, who will provide for you, who will take care of you. Leave tomorrow, he said, leave tomorrow for what it is. Because tomorrow will have enough on its own evil. But the point he was trying to make, but he said one thing, Even though you don't know what tomorrow will bring, we know as a believer, we know as Christians, as children of God, if we by the grace of God are a child of God, we know that tomorrow God will be the same. His promises will be the same. His word will be the same. No matter what may befall us on the day of tomorrow. And see, that will give confidence. Confidence to the future In Psalm 31, it's verse 14 and 15, it's so beautifully expressed. But I trusted in Thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in Thy hand. That's it. My times are in Thy hand. Elsewhere, David says, my heart is fixed. What a blessing it is. When our heart is fixed... And again, to go back to Paul and Silas, why were they able to worship in the middle of the night? They knew that their times, even that moment in that prison cell, that their times were in God's hands. Confidence. Confidence for the unknown future. In Psalm 37, David says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And in Matthew 6, Christ says lovingly, Oh, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. The congregation, it is true. It is really, really true. And I don't like to say anything about myself, but let me just make one statement. You know that 10 years ago, my first wife died when i think of how god took care of us also our financial needs it's astonishing and i can still break down when i think of how remarkably our heavenly father cared for us to the very very last penny he proved to be this god in whom we can trust he proved to be the one of whom Christ said, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all things. And so what is the confidence we have? The confidence, it says here, that nothing shall separate us. Nothing shall separate us from His love, from His fatherly love. And then at the end of Romans 8, I'm not going to read it again, but then the Apostle Paul, he lists every conceivable possibility, every conceivable trial, every conceivable contingency. And he is saying, none of these things, nothing, shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul wrote in First Corinthians 10 verse 13... There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's why I want to end with quoting a poem that you may know but a poem that is so fitting, the poem that is an expression of the faith that is being talked about in this question and answer 28. This is the confession of a man who believed the doctrine of God's providence. The title of the poem is He Maketh No Mistake by A.M. Overton. And There's a remarkable story behind it. A.M. Overton was a pastor in the southern United States. And you know when he wrote that poem? At the funeral of his wife and infant child. They both had died. And that's when he was moved to write this poem. This is the confession of a man who believed the doctrine of God's providence. Listen carefully. My father's way... May twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know He maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hope may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for He doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in Him, He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to Him. And by and by, the mist will lift and plain it all He'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, He made Not one mistake. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we bow before thee, our sovereign Lord, God and governor of our lives. Lord, bless the instruction that we have received from thy word regarding thy providential care for thy children. Lord, we pray that we would do more than pay lip service to it, but that by grace it would bring us to our knees, and that by grace we will be patient in adversity, but also thankful in prosperity, realizing that we are not worthy of even the least, of all the mercies that are showered upon us, that also we may have confidence for the unknown future. Oh, give us the faith thou didst give to this grieving and wounding husband and father who was able to confess at that moment that he still trusted thee and believed that thou hadst not made a mistake in his life. So go with us as we enter a new week. Watch over us and our loved ones. Bless the labor of our hands. And may we engage in our daily calling with a deep consciousness that everything we have, everything we possess, is an undeserved gift from Thee. And that so we may live, even with what Thou hast given us, a life that honors Thee and that we may freely give to Thy service what Thou hast so freely given to us. Keep us safely, gather with us again this next Lord's Day, and pardon our sins for Christ's sake alone. Amen.